Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by Bioptimizer's Breakthrough Magnesium. Magnesium is responsible for powering over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, even digestion is influenced by the presence of magnesium. It has been estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient in magnesium. Often, people don't recognize that there are at least seven types of magnesium. Most magnesium supplements contain one or two forms of these seven types. Bioptimizers has formulated their magnesium supplement to contain all seven forms of magnesium. Breakthrough Magnesium has a select packages available for up to 40% off when combined with our custom 10% discount code, which will be activated by entering the coupon code HUMAN10 when you head over to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash human. All links and codes will be included in the show notes. Now, on to the next topic. Hey, appreciate it. Hey, where are you guys? Uh, where are you guys calling from? Where are you guys located? So, not in the same room, I can tell. But no, no, yeah, uh, Boston. Uh, well, we're south of Boston, situated Massachusetts. Okay, so both you guys are there. Yep. Are you guys in? Are you guys pretty much in lockdown mode for like everybody else, or? Yeah, for the most part, we're, uh, well, we got kind of people spread out everywhere. We got, I'd say the majority of our folks working from home. Um, but then we're, we still have a bunch of, you know, partners that we need to kind of do work for on a regular basis. So it's, <laughs> it's a pain like anyone, like everyone else is dealing with, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, I've, I've been, sort of online home working for a couple of years now. So it's, it's kind of business as usual for me. In fact, yeah. I'm busier. So, I mean, it works out pretty well. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm actually using the time to do a lot of training and stuff, but that's what you guys do. Let, let me do this. Let me get you guys to kind of give us a little bit of history on your background. Cause some people that probably are on listening to this probably might not be familiar with you guys. So if you guys don't mind, just kind of tell us your background. I know there's some Navy seal business in there and, uh, so let, let's get into that stuff. And thank you guys, by the way, for the service. I was, I was an air force guy, so it wasn't, it wasn't a different branch, but, uh, you know, we always appreciate the, the military folks, but give us a, okay. give us a little I'll bit let, of background guys. Yeah. I'll let Paul talk. He loves... yeah, Paul, why don't you jump in? Adam's a bit breaking up, I think. Yeah, Adam, you're breaking up, bud. Um, I'll cover, I'll cover the, uh, I'll cover the intro. So, so no, Adam and I served together for, um, about 11 years in the, in the SEAL teams. Um, I went in right before September 11th, uh, got out end of 2012, put the company together with Adam and Gabriel and a couple other guys. And, uh, 
you know, we've been, been off to the races sort of ever since. Um, O2X itself, we're, we're based in Situate, Mass, which Adam was just talking about. It's about 20 miles south of Boston, um, give or take. And, uh, and so we're, we're, we're pretty much spread out all around, all around the country because we primarily run like a, uh, you know, a lot of contract work. If, if, if we partner with a department in, you know, Southern California or Southern Florida or the Northeast, it, it really doesn't matter too much for us. We have about 150 to 200 subject matter experts on our staff. Um, these people are, you know, human performance experts in very specific fields, whether it's sleep hygiene or stress mitigation or um, behavioral health, uh, strength and conditioning, performance. And uh, we run very much like a, a complete approach to performance and primarily focus on the tactical athlete uh, market. Can you uh, flesh that out a little more? When you, what do you mean the tactical athlete market? What does that mean? Yeah, so most of our people, our, our folks are, you know, I'd say 90% come from some type of military, police, fire uh, type background. We, we focus mostly on individuals and organizations that have an equal amount of physical, emo emotional, mental stressors in their day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, groups that don't have a season. Uh, you could be 18 years old, just getting on the job, 20 years old, just getting on the job or, you know, pushing 60, you know, about to retire. And so a lot of what we focus on is, is these kind of organizations on, you know, trying to serve those who serve, right? So people that are on the front lines, no different than what we're seeing right now in this COVID situation, right? Everyone, like we were just talking about working from home, but the groups that we try to partner with, they don't, they don't really have that luxury, right? They're working in hospitals or they're working in fire departments or law enforcement agencies or military units in there, you know, they keep go, go, go. And, you know, when we talk about human performance, we're really heavily focused on, on the complete approach and it, and it matters to the, to these groups um, because it's not just a, you know, a 25 year old wide receiver that's going to play for three years and, and peak and then, and then be done. Right. Where, you know, the, these units that we talk to, whether it's a military unit and, dealing with an individual that's got seven or eight combat deployments and they're whatever, 35, 45 years old, and uh, they don't really have that luxury. So we are really big on the complete approach and, uh, and, and longevity is a, is a big piece. Uh, we talk a lot about, about pillars when we talk about human performance. So we break it down into an eat, sweat, and thrive. But, you know, backing it up, it's really strength and conditioning. It's nutrition. It's stress mitigation. It's uh, resilience. It's behavioral health. It's all sleep hygiene. It's all these things that, uh, while they look like independent subjects, they're really codependent on, you know, on each other. And I can tell you that over the last six years, focusing in on this tactical athlete space, it's, you know, the data has been been alarming to see some of these these uh these organizations when it comes to you know in the fire service uh, leading cause of fire fire service death is you know cardiovascular uh issues so um while you can tie that directly to strength and conditioning and physical fitness or obesity or you know just not staying physically active there's a whole bunch of other stuff that plays a part as i know you're well aware of right like these guys are doing 24 hour shifts and they're sleep deprived and they're, you know, eating family style meals and they're stressed and, you know, this work life balance, maybe they've got injuries, maybe they got some post-traumatic stress. So it really is a complete approach. And if you're, if you're solely focused on just that one aspect of call it strength and conditioning or physical fitness, 
and yet they got this underlying, you know, issue when it comes to, you know, sleep issues or stress issues or nutrition problems, right? If you're only focused on that strength and conditioning side, it's really going to be uh, highlighted, I think, heavier in the tactical athlete community uh, yeah. than maybe you would see somewhere else. Paul, you, you, you touched on it, and we talked about this in the past a lot on the show too, is I know when, when I'm working with athletes for extreme endurance type stuff, it seems like everyone, when they come, is already and on board to do the training component of it. Like, I'll do the work, give me the schedule. And I usually spend some time in the beginning talking about, you know, if you think of it in like even thirds, it's like that training is one third of the process. But then once you actually work out, you broke yourself down. So you didn't actually get stronger doing the workout. You're going to get stronger making sure you get enough rest after and then paying attention to nutrition. You find that's kind of one of the biggest hurdles to get over with people at first is understanding that there's a, there's a lot more to it than just the training side, the training component. Yeah, I think a hundred percent. And I, I think it's a great point too. A, a lot of these communities, especially when you get in the you know higher level military units or the spec ops community, you know most of these most of these characters have sort of one speed, and it's you know it's all in all the time, um, and 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 that's what they do focus on, right? Like I got to pass this test, or I want to perform at the highest level, so that's what they're they're going for. And um, you know, often in the tactical athlete community with like, you know, police and fire type communities, um, often they use like sleep as like a badge of honor. Like, oh yeah, you know, I only got like three hours last night, four hours <laughs> last night. But if you talk to like Olympic athletes or people, uh, folks that you're talking about, like they know that has a direct correlation to how well their performance is going to be, right? So I think there is a, there's an awareness that is growing. Um, but I do think that the nature of the job of these in these communities is go, 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 you know, you know, harder, faster, stronger, and having a better appreciation for, you know, optimal performance takes a wide spectrum view. And if you, if, if you don't have that, um, you just, you just won't see those results. I can tell you that even the, the, the SEAL community was very late to adopt that. Um, and really what happened is the op-tempo spec. Uh, sped up after 9-11 right what happens when the op tempo speeds up tragedies speed up injuries speed up behavioral health stuff you know starts backing up and and the people that are just go 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 they might not break you know right away but eventually you know there's a wear and tear uh aspect that's 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 got to be addressed and and you, and you see it you know from suicide rates to post-traumatic stress to substance abuse to injury you see it um so it's it is a it is a learning curve, and it is something that we we push heavy. Um, I also think that same mindset is also what makes a lot of these communities really special. Um, so so part of it's just getting them to tie it tie it to tie it to performance, right? If you focus on like, hey, everyone's, if you get, yeah, we're gonna sit around, we're gonna breathing exercise, we're gonna do some yoga, we're gonna do some sleep, it, you know, people are gonna roll their eyes right away. But if you tie it to why does Michael Phelps believe in mindfulness? And it's because he wants to swim faster. There's no other, there's no other reason, right? Um, so I think getting that awareness out has been, has been interesting. Yeah, I think we saw the same kind of thing in the endurance world where, like, if you go back a few decades, we saw a lot of just let's get as many people in the program as possible and throw yeah. them all through the ringer. And if safe, just for simplicity's sake, you had 100, 100 folks in there, and maybe 10 or 12 of them like kind of make it through, so to speak, they're like unbeatable. But then, you know, what about the other 88% that <laughs> fell on the wayside? And now it's getting to the point now where we're like individualizing, I think a little more. So it's 
the question instead of is how do we beat everyone up enough and see who the most robust kind of super freaks are rather let's get all these individuals to find their own potential and then yeah. kind of like individualize a little more. Yeah, no, exactly. It makes a ton of sense. Let me ask you guys, cause when I was in the military, you know, we had the, you know, the semi-annual physical fitness tests, you know, you know, you run, do pushups, pull-ups, whatever, you know, we, we were expected to do that continuously throughout our careers. And if you didn't do that, you know, there were negative consequences. Do, do most sort of fire departments, police departments have that after the academy? I know the academy, usually they have this sort of, uh, you know, fairly intense, rigorous, you know, criteria of physical fitness to get through. And then my, my guess is they just stop doing that. And we have people that don't, don't do that. Do they do it like the military or do they, or does it depend on the different, different place? And then the other thing, you know, cause when we talk about, you know, as you guys have rightly pointed out, sleep, diet, you know, stress mitigation, you know, all these circadian biology, all these things we're talking about. Is that something we should measure as well? I mean, is there a way to measure that to see if our people are, you know, because if you're going to say, Hey, you need to be able to do 50 pushups. Why isn't you need to be able to get seven hours of sleep or something like that? You know, what are your thoughts on those types of things? A requirement for these, 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 these guys that are putting their life on the line, you know, in fire, police, or some of these other, you know, kind of tactical type things. Yeah. I think you'd be, you'd be surprised. Um, and it's, it actually is dependent on the area that, uh, you know, where they are in the country is, is what we've, we've seen. Um, you know, it also depends on, uh, the, you know, union driven a lot of times uh, from a protection standpoint. I, I tell you, that's, that's been one of, our, one of our challenges. You know, you go in certain more progressive areas, uh, you know, they might run their academy pretty strict and pretty, you know, stringent. And here's a pass-fail criteria. Uh, here's the attrition that comes out of there. And here's, you know, sort of the, uh, annual requirement, but I could tell you a, a, across the board, most, you know, most fire departments in particular, if we, if we focus on that, it's a little bit different than law enforcement, right? Um, they don't have annual uh, fitness requirements. It was something that I, uh, that I was, that I was kind of you know, shocked on originally. It was one of the, one of the things that when we first started connecting with some of the departments up at the Northeast and they wanted to ask for results of our program, I was like, well, this is pretty easy. I'll just look at what are the results of the Academy Right. And then let you see how these people perform over the next 20 years. Right. And we'll just look. And if we don't see results on their annual physical fitness requirements, then that physical fitness portion is clearly not working. But you, you would be surprised. Um, you know, the many, many, many departments that we've interacted with, they'll, you know, a member will graduate out of the academy and won't, won't do a physical fitness test their entire, their entire career. Um, and so, you know, I get it in a lot of ways. Like it is their job. It is their livelihood. I, I don't, we would never want to be the company to, to go in and try to improve, uh, you know, a culture standpoint or a health and wellness standpoint and get people fired from their job. But in the same sense, there has to also be a level of leadership that looks at, okay, leading cause of firefighter death in this firefighter examples, cardiovascular disease and heart attacks. Yet we're going to let people that are almost 400 pounds run into a burning building probably not the best leadership move. Right. So, so it's, it's a, it, it is a struggle. Uh, we, we get it and we, we understand and, and by no means are we trying to go in there and flip the table upside down. What we've done to address that in a lot of ways is we get heavily involved with the academies 
and, um, and we are able to do, uh, you know, quarterly or maybe three times throughout the academy, we'll do a, a mobility screening on these members, we'll do a body comp, we'll do a physical fitness, uh, you know, assessment on them, and, and we'll be able to show those gains. And what we're doing with departments and the membership is getting pretty fired up and I think really likes it, is we're able to do it, um, you know, anonymously, which is great. So what you get is this culture shift that is happening. It, it really is happening because they don't, they don't like these results either, right? They don't, they don't want to see what's happening on, on the job um, happen. But I can tell you that um, over time, as it starts to, as it starts to change, more people are adopting it, more people on board. And the other thing that we're doing that seems to be very well received is like, you know, from your background in the military, right? You got your annual physical fitness test and it could be based on promotion or it could be based on whatever. Like you have to get these certain scores based on age or gender or whatever. I know they've been tweaking these things, but you do that every year, right? In the, in the military and it's cool. I got an outstanding or excellent and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good to go, whatever. Um, you know, part of, part of the problem with some of these communities that haven't been looking for this at all um, is that they now will go in there and be like, okay, here's the new requirement. And sometimes it's maybe not the most fair or the best requirement, but it's like pass or fail. And then the members are like sitting there like, okay, I failed. You know, what's in it for me? What, what, what's the punishment? What's in it for me? But what are you going to do for me? So what I think has been really cool about what we've done is we're able to now go into departments anonymously. We get the buy-in from the leadership, you know, from the union side and the management side. We say, hey, here's the current status of the force. We can tell you everything from like how well members are sleeping, how well they're eating, you know, their stress levels. We can tell the physical fitness, we can give them the body comp, we can give them the mobility, we can give them all these things, we can give them physical fitness tests. But the big thing is we're not just telling them, hey, congratulations, you failed. We're able to say, hey, based on your body comp, based on your mobility scores, you know, based on how well you're sleeping, here is, you know, our eat, sweat, thrive curriculum. Here's training plans specific to you. And like a lot of what we talk about is making those 1% changes, right? So we know you're never going to go into a community like this and turn a dinghy in harbor, right? Like it's like an aircraft carrier, like a little bit of shift. They're heavy baked on tradition, which is awesome. The culture is typically great. And a lot of these groups, you go in there and next thing you know, try to push some, you know, trying to make a local fire department, uh, a Navy SEAL unit. That's, that's not going to happen. Right. And, 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 and nor should that necessarily be the, the goal, but I do think having, you know, having a level of situational awareness and, and actually being able to look yourself in the mirror and say, Hey, a lot of this stuff is preventable. You know, a lot of it is, you know, whether, whether it's injury rates, whether it's cardiac, whether it's cancer, uh, suicides, a, a lot of this stuff is preventable, but you got to put a, you got to put a measure into it and you got to do it in a way where you, your goal is to not go in there and make somebody lose their job. Right. That's, 55 years old and, you know, getting close to retirement, but also able to go in and, and if you do fail, give them the tools to, to hopefully make the, the, you know, the right, the right call. So it, it's been a learning curve for us, um, but it's been a fun learning curve, a, re a rewarding learning curve. Um, and it's something we're always, you know, kind of trying to adapt, but it's a great point you bring up and it's, it's something that shocked me just from a military background, right? Like it's, it's something that shocked me in the, in the beginning. Um, you know, just from my, my background and Adam's background. Yeah, it's cool. It is cool to see you guys hear me now. Okay. Yeah. Love no, you're back. Well, I, 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 I recognized um, you guys couldn't hear me because I, I said something really funny and no one laughed. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, you know, I think one, one group, it's interesting when we talk about PT tests for a little bit. So the army just changed their, 
their test that they've had since like, um, I think early eighties, they started, it It was a three test, you know, it had like a two mile run in it. And, and there's, you know, push-ups, of course, and things like that. But now it's like a six part test with a, you know, three rep. It's more functional. Uh, it's more complex. It's actually more challenging. And I think we see that some of these law enforcement or even fire departments that do have physical training, you guys know that, you know, how it was. And you, Sean, you know, from um, the military, like everyone, cram it's like cramming for the test. So there's like a ton of injuries. Like everyone's like, oh man, two months out, I got to get this done. Or sometimes we see it, it's every, the testing is every two years, which makes it worse almost. You think it's better because you go, oh, I got two years. But well, that's a lapse of two years before you go do something. The army, we work with uh, the National Guard units and some other military, but one big part of our, our initiative uh, with them is helping them prepare for this new ACFT that's out. Um, and, and, and the process of taking someone, like they project, you know, we're talking about over a 70% failure rate, like really high. Um, and obviously it ties to retention, building resilience, and then also, um, you know, bringing, bringing new recruitment there. So there's so many factors, even promotional exams, that tie to these tests in the military. So people are generally concerned about losing their jobs, but they don't know where to begin. And that's like a lot of our, a lot of the people that we work with, they're like, where do we start? It's been so long. There's so much out there right now. Um, like, I know I should be following some sort of science. I need to make it culturally work for us, but, but how do you do that? And something like this, this new army combat uh, physical fitness test there, um, you can't just wing it. You know, people are going to get hurt. It's, uh, you know, there's three, three rep, uh, three rep uh, max and de uh, hex bar deadlift, standing power throw, there's shuttle runs, there's kettlebell, uh, you know, kettlebell run, 40 pounds, uh, sled drags. They still got that two mile run in there, knee ups. Like it's not something you can just kind of fake your way through or be like, hey, I'm a pretty good runner. I can, I can, I can gut it out. Yeah, it sounds like with a lot of those programs, it, probably favors the person who's kind of a jack of all trades or like good or very good at everything, but not maybe not necessarily great at any one component. Do, do you see a lot of that imbalance when you first start working with these groups where like, Oh yeah, a lot of these guys have clearly been focusing on like maybe strength versus endurance or endurance versus strength. And they need to start balancing things out a little more so that they can be kind of useful in all situations versus like the best at just one of them. Yeah, like, and I love um, when we talk about, we have these discussions, we like to make, you know, a lot of things with our training is like, everybody's an adult. So adult learners, like we, we want to make it interactive. And uh, we want to have discussions, we want it to be like a full experience. And it's awesome, we get talking about um, and have a discussion about like, what are the demands for your job? We know this, like for me, you guys as endurance athletes, you know, you, you'll know to be able to take a look at it and be like, all right, like, what do I need to be good at? And so when we break these things down, these guys are more like decathletes than anything else. Um, you talk about these jack, you said like jack of all trades. There's a lot of aspects that they need to be good at. They need to throw a ladder. They need to be able to pull somebody out. They might need to, you know, be wearing uh, 80, 90 pounds of kit. Military, they might have like long patrols. They might, you know, there's, as there's so many different aspects of their job. And then when we start breaking it down, I'm like, all right, so how do you train for that? Um, and they're like, well, well, I guess I don't really know. And some of them do focus on what they're good at. I think human beings, na human nature. I remember even, even like myself, if I rewind back to like training, getting prepared for, for buds, it's like, you know, I, 
I had to force myself to get in the water as much as possible because I, I generally liked to do the PT stuff. Like I like climbing ropes and doing pull-ups and push-ups. Like that's what I was good at. That's what I enjoy doing. But something like immersing yourself in, in an uncomfortable, most uncomfortable environment, but what you're going to need and what you're, what you truly need to focus on to be good at your job and be successful. That's what we have to, we have to help that self-awareness a lot in those workshops with, with that type of stuff. Do you guys find that uh, there's a significant difference between the different groups you deal with as far as the requirements and how you tailor? I mean, it might be on an individual basis, but is there, as, a, as a general rule, are police treated differently than fire versus um, you know, military? Do you find that there's a big difference between what the requirements are and what you have to do for them uh, conditioning-wise, training-wise, other stuff? For sure. I mean, we have specific programs even broken down between like engine and ladder or when we talk about uh, patrol versus someone that's serving warrants. Um, so we talk about that. And then as you guys are familiar with, like there's also age. The interesting part about the tactical community, like if you look at pro sports, maybe pro, if you look at pro sports, there's a certain age group that everybody falls into. Right. But if you look at the tactical community, you're talking about 21 to like 66. Right. I mean, there's a huge, huge range of age and experience and, and what people are doing. So it's really fascinating. Like we, we love to um, customize as much as we can. And within the different services or first responder communities or tactical communities, it has to be very customized and very specific. And to me, I, I think from a cultural standpoint, this is how they stick with a program too. You like, you look at people's motivation and be like, where are you right now? Uh, Paul mentioned 1% before, and it's like, okay, where are you right now? What, is, what do you need to be good at? Where do we, what are your skills or demands? And then how do we incrementally kind of get you there um, with longevity and sustainability in mind? Yeah, it's interesting. I think like one question I kind of have, if we like zone in on the, the workout side of things or that pillar, I guess, do you guys have like a few like foundational components that you know you're going to lay down as kind of like the bedrock before you start putting in any of the specific stuff based on their particular task? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we, we definitely do a demands analysis. Like I mentioned, um, we want something that's specifically like really customized. We want them following. This is really interesting because we started Man, it was like six years ago. It was the closest thing to like the Olympic development program. You know, I mean, it was, it was sometimes um, it was too complex in ways, too technical. So getting it back to kind of where, you know, where they are um, and where their, you know, where their ability is. And then also kind of looking at their movement and making sure that people are not, um, you know, um, like what are their individual goals? What, the, what are their movements? Where they are from like their, their body comp standpoint. From a strength and conditioning, we definitely focus a lot on the prehabilitation side. So, you know, we, we beat them. We call it prepare, sweat, recover. You know, that's like our little mantra when it comes to, um, you know, strength, like what our conditioning or training for what it is. So the, prep the preparation is, you know, the preparing for, you know, what you're, you know, uh, your movement, whatever that is, and making sure that you're doing, you know, the, the posterior chain work, the core stabilization, all that stuff to just kind of warm your body up and get used to it. And also thinking about what are we doing for this, this workout? What do I need to be prepared to avoid these injuries? 
And then for the recover part, we focus a lot on the recovery. We focus a lot on the foam rolling, a lot on the static stretching. A lot of that, um, we, we want to drive that home. And for some of our groups, we're just like, hey, guys, at the level you're at right now, you should just be doing like the prepare and recover for a while. And, and because you're, if you jump into something too fast, it's, it's, uh, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get these injuries. And let's build, like you said, a strong baseline, a strong foundation. Let's pour that concrete like pretty, pretty damn thick before we start building the frames of the house. Hey folks, I have some exciting news to share. HPO Podcast wants to reward some of our regular listeners and supporters. So we have partnered up with some companies to offer a monthly raffle for all our Patreon and PayPal donors. It's simple. Donate as little as one US dollar per month to automatically enter. For every dollar you donate will qualify you for a raffle ticket. At the end of the month, the raffle will be drawn and winners announced. Ultra Footwear is going to be giving away a free pair of shoes for our U.S. listeners. Ultra Footwear makes shoes that are shaped like feet, have balanced cushioning, and build their shoes specifically to the anatomy of male and female feet. They call it their fit for her system. So check them out at ultrarunning.com. That's ultra with an A, running.com. S-Fuels provides a series of low-carb, high-fat endurance and lifestyle products that are designed with the help from World Ironman Age Group Champion Dr. Dan Plews, six-time Hawaii Ironman triathlete Dave Scott, and now myself. You can check out some of their educational material at sfuelsgolonger.com and also my collaboration with S-Fuels at sfuelsgolonger.com forward slash Zach. So head over to paypal.me forward slash HPOPod or patreon.com forward slash HPOPodcast to support the show. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, let me just uh, ask about, because you guys both have a background as Navy SEALs and we all hear about, you know, we, we, we know the, the training is famous, you know, the Hell Week, all the stuff we see. But I mean, after you get through that, then what happens? And I mean, how how do the, how do you guys how did you train? What things did you do? Did you think the Navy SEALs did wrong? Maybe in retrospect, do they train differently now than they did? You know, when you guys went through, um, what what was your experience with that as far as good, bad, and and, and the ugly? I guess. Yeah, it was in, the evolution was interesting. Um, when we came in, it was like right around nine eleven, and um, it was still very old school and traditional and it adapted and it morphed into like more human performance i don't think tactical athlete or human performance or even anything else besides training as hard as you can as long as you can you know it was ever in anything but the mantra you put 198 people through training and you pop out 18 at the end and you're like all right those guys are good they're resilient mentally physically emotionally go ahead and i think what we learned over you know at now 20 years of combat, that that's not right. That is not something that's sustainable. Um, there's a, there's a uh, mentally, physically, you know, you're, you're taking a ton of demands. And we recognize that probably around 2006, we started implementing more, more like sports science trainers. Like, let's get the, let's let the specialists, we were always really good at letting the specialists be specialists, right? You know, it's like, there's no seal out there that's gonna specifically tell me how to be like, 
necessarily bigger, stronger, faster. Let's get the people who've done this their entire lives that are like the SMEs in their world. And I think we took that same mantra for skydiving and shooting and diving. We want to learn from the best. If you don't have 20,000 skydives, like I don't like, we want the expert to teach us to be as best we possibly can. So we took that same model. Now the interesting part, and it's, it's evolved a lot. We have some impressive human performance, uh, you know, um, specialists and people that are, are there now training, you know, the problem exists, fellas. And this is kind of where we, why we created O2X human performance is that, you know, it's a little bit, a little bit of quick story here is at the end of my career, I'm looking around the room and I got, you know, roughly about 50 people that I was responsible for. And I probably was the least experienced as the officer. And I had like the least amount of deployments. I probably had about seven combat deployments. And everybody else around me had probably had like 10, 11, 12, 14. And I can tell you, when we looked around the room, like we're going to get the mission done, but it, it's going to come with a cost. We, to talk about the margin of error that was expected of us and to make sure that we were doing everything we can to go overseas, bring everyone home back and have mission success. We weren't doing as much as we could have because we were, we were smoked. We had injuries, we had pain, um, we slept terribly. You know, we weren't managing stress that well, and it matriculated into all these different things. So, uh, you know, the start of this program was like what I started writing down, what I wanted to spend my, what what I wanted for myself, um, and what I wanted to put my guys into. So the evolution is, and it's coming full circle because you know we're getting involved in like, you know, um, prep program, naval special warfare prep programs, and military prep like the Army uh, National, uh, the uh, Army Combat Physical Fitness Test. Um, and then also a deeper understanding that it's cool to have all these specialists, you know, but we don't go to like Gillette stadium to like practice and play. We're all over the place. So we're never static at all. So unless you have something that's expeditionary, it's not going to stick and it's not going to be as effective to be able to have it. it's decentralized leadership. It's to be able to get where guys are, put boots on the ground there. And that's really what we do with O2X is that we're expeditionary, we're customized and very scalable for these large groups. What is the, uh, I mean, just, I guess, you know, with the tactical athlete, what are, what, I mean, what are you guys developing? I mean, what, what are the things you're not doing? What are the things you are doing? What kind of, what kind of, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in the, in the, you know, first of all, the training aspect, you know, we, are we making people have big deadlifts and, you know, kettlebell swings? Or I mean, what are you? What what's actually going into the programming for for the average person? I mean, is there is there a common core of these things you need to be proficient at? And then there's the specialization stuff. But what's uh, is it? You know, like Zach's out there running hundred mile races. Um, maybe they don't need to do that. But what do you what do you guys have to make sure they're able to do? Yeah. So you might cover. Um, but it, it, it's, it's a good question. One, I think it's important to recognize, like what you're covering in the beginning, the difference between like a, uh, you know, an operator level and like a, a recruit academy, right? Academies are easy. Um, you know, you put X amount of people through the academy with the outcome of hopefully everyone graduates and goes and serves their communities or their, their unit or wherever they're at, right? So that, that's, a little bit, that's a little bit easier. What Adam was kind of getting at there, what, what, we're, what we're trying to do from a consistency standpoint, or what we're not trying to do is probably what you, what you use as an example. Our, our goal with these groups is sustainability and longevity, right? So 
we know Adam used the example of being like decathletes. We know at, you know, at the macro view that if you're a tactical athlete, you need a little bit of speed and a little bit of strength and you're a little bit, of, little bit of power, right? Probably not the best example would be like, I am the hundred mile road racer. Um, but I, I don't have enough power to drag someone out, out of a building. You might be great getting up the stairs, right? But in the same sense, you don't want to be the world's strongest man and have a heart attack because you can't get up a flight of stairs or, or chase someone down, right? So we, we know at a high level, you need a little bit of speed, you need a little bit of strength, you need a little bit of power. Um, the, the other thing is like the heavy focus on, on just injury prevention, what Adam was talking about in the beginning, right? So the prepare, sweat, recover is a big piece of that. Even just training and education in general about like, what are the energy systems? You know, breaking it down to the smallest part of understanding why do you need speed strength power what what is why why don't you want like no one can argue that the world's strongest man is in shape right he, he is he's he's definitely you know he's training his butt off and he's going to perform and no one can also argue that someone that's running an ultra after ultra is in shape right two very awesome good but i think we can both agree at a high level if i were to trade out each one of those training plans and i put the world's strongest man on the 100 guy 100 mile guys training plan i took the hundred mile guy and put him on the world's strongest man training plan. I'd probably be the worst strength and conditioning coach on the planet, right? Both of their, both of their desired outcomes are, are going to be less effective. So what we need to do is a, a couple things. One, we need to break it down to an injury prevention standpoint. We need to make sure that it's a complete approach, a well-rounded approach for tactical athletes. We still offer all the stuff. Look, look, these communities, if a guy wants to run 100 miles, he's going to go run 100 miles. We'll give him awesome training plans for that. If a guy wants to get his deadlift up, we're able to do that. However, we're also pretty big on the sustainability piece, the well-rounded approach. Um, I could tell you that the biggest thing we do for consistency is the program at large, right? And so what, what does that mean to, to, to answer your, your, your main question? Let's say we go into you know, X, Y, Z, let's just say it's fire department because we keep using that as an example. We go into a fire department and it's in Florida, right? We, we know the outcome there of like trying to turn everybody into a subject matter expert. Like no one's going to go through one of our training programs, just as an example, and leave, leave as a strength and conditioning coach, a nutritionist, a sleep expert, a stress expert, a dietitian. Like it's not going to happen, right? And nor is that nor is that our goal. It's kind of why we shifted away from this train the trainer concept because we know that like, yeah, I can, I can put you through an awesome training block. What are you really going to do? You got four different shifts. You got 1,500 firefighters. In the, are you going to run around and start training everyone how to work out and sleep right and, you know, eat healthy? It's not going to happen, right? So what we, what we really do is we provide in-person training and education, ideally set up to deliver to the masses because a lot of these people, reality is they'll go through a 30-year career and they'll never go through strength and conditioning class. They'll never go through a sleep hygiene class. They'll never go through performance nutrition and, and breathing exercise and mindfulness. Honestly, they won't. And yet suicides are through the roof. Heart attacks are through the roof. You know, substance, all these things. But, but yet they don't really – a lot of them aren't doing it. So we do the in-person stuff for the buy-in piece, right, and give them a drip campaign of training and education. And then on the back side is where we get, you know, I think a little bit more – special is that we provide stuff that doesn't disappear so ideally it's a drip campaign of learning the why and then letting them run with it but then we provide them a whole bunch of sustainable resources to work with that department so for example let's say this department in florida does 
quarterly workshops where they're dripping 20 members at a time through our program with the goal of putting, I don't know, 50% of the department annually through some type of human performance training and education. So every other, every other year, every year you're going through some type of in-person stuff where we're bringing in sleep experts and, you know, strength and mission coaches and all that kind of stuff. Right. But then we're gone. We're doing a ton of other stuff that's making real impact. So that's things like placing, we actually have uh, full-time employees, you know, staff through O2X, you know, at, at, at these departments. So we have like someone in Boston fire department that works full-time on human performance. We have someone in, um, you know, Frederick, Maryland, we have someone in the national guard, all these places that we put people on site that makes this a priority. Right. And then the other thing we'll do is, we, uh, we have a drip campaign of like our sustainable resources from, let's say we're doing quarterly or annually uh, mobility screenings. And we can tell you, you know, everyone with their issues with their hips, their knees, their core, their shoulders, their back. We'll also do their body comp. You know, we'll, we'll see what they, what they uh, you know, what they're getting on that. And we can give them training plans to address those things. Maybe it's a PT test. We have uh, things like a tactical athlete portal that every member can log on to and they get access to, you know, tons and tons and tons of different training plans and nutrition and recipes and uh they can log on to our thrive section and have you know mental performance drills and uh you know um, post-traumatic stuff stuff stress stuff they have sleep stuff they have resilience and then i think the coolest part about when we partner with these departments is virtually they have access to our team of of all those smds so like those 150 or so people that i'm talking to so let's say you're at the same department you know, every year you're going to get some kind of training and education in person from O2X. You're going to get your body comp, you're going to get your mobility, and you're going to get all this virtual stuff when we're not in front of you. And you can connect with these subject matter experts off the side. So it's been, it's been something that we've been learning from. Um, and it, it's been, it's been pretty cool because we originally started with, here's a train the trainer program. We're going to deliver you this great workshop. We're going to talk to you about you know, all these subjects of human performance and then you disappear. And then it's just like listening to a motivational speaker. It's like awesome for a little while. And then what happens? So after a while it slowly fades and then nothing happens. So it's like, you need both. You need, you need to get that buy-in with the in-person stuff, but then you also need to not disappear. And our goal isn't to make these people coaches. Our goal is not to make them SMEs. Our goal is to give them a good amount of knowledge that they can take this and they can run with for themselves. And ideally kind of spread this and make a, make, make a culture shift in the department. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I think it's, that, 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 that does seem to answer the question pretty well. Um, trying to think um, what, um, so how many, are you guys U.S. based only or are you guys, how, how does your sort of overall sort of company work? Yeah. We have, um, you know, obviously we're, we're in New England, um, based, in, based in Boston, but, you know, reality is we started here, but Mid-Atlantic um, is a huge area for us all the way out through D.C., Beltway area, Florida, Texas, California, um, Colorado, Montana. So we're across the country. Virtually, we do have a lot from the U.K. and Australia um, that are a part. Um, we've even seen like some, we have a, a book that we put out this year. And we've even seen like uh, first responders in like Nepal, like training off of that book, which is pretty cool. Someone sent us a picture of like eight Nepal firefighters from Nepal kind of doing training with that. So, you know, every, whether it's a virtual, um, like an online program or a book or the in-person, it's all, um, you know, it's, it's different areas, different territories, uh, but definitely more focused on, um, you know, 
you know, the tactical community within North America, primarily the, uh, the U S. Are you, uh, you know, I guess there's, uh, there's, what is there? I guess there's like seal fit, which is another group that, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how, how, how different are you guys from, from that particular organization as far as training methodology and philosophy and that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think the I think the big part here is that, um, you know, we like I said, like Paul, Paul and I are more of like the um, the cultural component of this of this program, the, like the visionaries of like putting it together and understanding it. They said we have 180 specialists right now, um, and they're the best at what they do. You know, it takes a while for us to find these people and vet them, and it's great when we take people that are at the top, that you know the the leading edge of their um, their topic. And then we challenge them even harder and hold them to a higher standard and, and make their curriculum intertwine and fit. So they're the, out there. They're the ones that are like, you know, that are the absolute top specialists and we hone the curriculum together and build it. So it's, it's grown. So the only aspect truthfully that, yeah, we have some cultural competence behind the tactical. We know the community, we know the guys, we know what fits and what works, but how you know this company is backed by seals is not, because it's like a Navy SEAL training program. It's because we hold our people to a really pretty damn high standard. And we take care of these people and these clients that are, you know, that are out there that are, that have a life and death job. And, um, you know, we take it very seriously and they see it. So we have a high standard for our, you know, our people. And then like the relationships that we build with them and the relationships we build with these departments were there, we're there for last. So, you know, we're not, um, you know, th that's from a, from like a comparison to like other seal things. It's just, we just happen to be seals. We're just, we're on to our next uh, chapter. For you guys, when you're working with these groups, what, what type of nutritional advice or strategies do you use if at all in terms of working with the folks at their level? Are you guys, do you guys have like a go-to protocol that you like, or is it more, along the lines of like, well, what is your preferred like way of eating? And this is how you get what you need out of that kind of a strategy. Yeah, I can tackle the uh, nutrition one uh, a bit. It's like, you know, we recommend for one, you know, quality, quantity and timing, right? That's kind of like would be our, you know, our three step thing and quality, quantity, timing, um, you know, eat quality foods, you know, the right, you know, the right amount at the right times. Um, we're not preaching a diet. We're preaching something that's going to be sustainable for life. They don't have the luxury. Like they can wake up if they're, if they're focusing on like intermittent fasting, I know there's like science behind it or some, a lot, um, a few other, a few other aspects, you don't like, they could enter a, a significant scenario where they're physically taxing themselves. It's like going on an endurance race with nothing in the tank. Like how, like how smart would that be? Right. So you've got to be really careful on what those recommend recommendations are. So, you know, we, we teach them, you know, Hey, you know, if you're not going to do it for the rest of your life, then it's probably not sustainable and probably not something we recommend focus on high quality, nutrient dense foods. Obviously hydration is, is huge with that. Um, you know, the right, um, you know, the right quantity of food for them to understand what their body needs. We even do like, you know, just from a calorie counting standpoint, we just want to make sure that they know what weight they're at and what their body comp is, you know, what, um, what their burn, their, you know, what their burn is for, you know, per day. And then what their activity level, just to put it in a range, 
we're like, we're not counting macros here. We're just getting you guys to understand what this looks like so you can live your life and you can fit this, you know, lifestyle that might be 22 calls a, a day, you know, a shift, a 24 hour shift and how to like, you, you know, what kind of fuel. So when you're more self-aware being like, man, I'm not feeling like I got the highest energy level that I, that I um, need to perform right now. You understand why there's a little bit of understanding of that blood sugar stabilization, those peaks and valleys, the, the benefits of caffeine, but also the, the things that could be ineffective, you know, um, attention control, reaction time, how nutrition ties into all this stuff. Um, and, you know, there is a, there's also like a, a component here that, you know, you have to be maintain some sort of weight control because, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're 20 pounds overweight, um, you're more, you know, you're two and a half times more likely to get injuries. So you're carrying more around. You're carrying an extra tool bag into the fight or an extra set of body armor with you. So let's, let's understand all these different aspects. That's kind of how we tackle um, the nutrition side. Hey, one other point on that too, it's, it, that's fair. I'll, you know, leave the de department name out of it, but uh, you know, to, to Adam's point, you know, what's, what's right and what people are going to do. Are, are two different things, right? So we're, we're very careful on not being a fad company. We're very careful on not pitching, here is the O2X diet. Here is the O2X workout. Here is the O2X. Like we have all those things and, and it has been a learning point for us. Like Adam said, like in the beginning when we brought this together, it's like, here's the Olympic plan, all this stuff. And next thing you know, you're talking to a bunch of, you know, 50 year old people that haven't worked out really. And, 10 years and you're giving them snatches and deadlifts and, you know, and sprints and all. And, and they're like, okay, this is great. They throw it in the garbage. So it could be the best training plan in the entire world, but if they're not going to do it, it, it doesn't matter. Right. So mm -hmm. we're, we're pretty, we're pretty big on that piece. And this department that I was referencing, you know, at the, at the end of the day, just for some like perspective, this department's probably around 13 to 1500 firefighters. When we first started working with this group, they average between 150 to 180 injuries a year on the job. So over 10% of their job at any one given time is, is, is dealing with some type of orthopedic injury, whether it's a you know, knee, a back, or whatever. They had uh, 18, over 18 pounds of weight gain first year on the job out of the academy, uh, diagnosing a new cancer case on average every two to three weeks, um, you know, substance abuse, suicide, uh, you know, through their, so bottom line, it's like this huge, huge issue and if you go into these groups and try to flip a table upside down and say here is it it's not going to happen right so it's very important that that it is the complete approach it's, it's something sustainable it's, it's something long term yeah, i got a good i got a good story on that fellas like um you know we had I remember, it was like probably the first year we started end of the first year and i look at some of our training plans now which i love but they're you know they're great for some of the the topper top performers did more probably more elite but some not so much we had someone write in and was like hey i i need a um you know i'm looking for a program for a, a turkey trot it's like a, a 5k turkey trot my wife and i are going to go do it um together and I, you know you guys have a training program my initial this was six years ago my initial reaction was like how are we preparing like why would we develop a you know a turkey trot program because like how does that fit into like what we're doing but the, the perspective has started us really learning and getting to dialed in on, on meeting people where they are, because I can tell you giving somebody who hasn't done much, you know, a Turkey, like a, a eight week Turkey trot program and that he's going to do it his wife 
and that they're going to start cooking together and being more healthier and take taking things um you know kind of working with each other and it becomes more of a lifestyle family because this does tie to your you guys know how performance is tied to family and your lifestyles so that immediately became like you know what like we should do this like that's very much within our scope and so how do we find something you know, um, how do we find something for everybody? And how do we incrementally meet people where they are and then get them to maybe where, where we want them to be or where they're going to be the most effective for their job, for the duration of their career? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I know like when, when I'm working with athletes, it's always like a concept I like to call micro-stressing. So, you know, I might get someone who's nine-tenths of the way there. So the, a micro-stress for them might be like, something that looks uh, impossible for the person who's just getting started where you might have to, you know, you're still stressing them a little bit so that they get that that stress response, but you have to have just enough to kind of elicit that, but not so much that they quit or bail out on it. And I think uh, meeting people where they're at is, is always a great way to kind of get the routine and the, and the buy-in in the early stages. Yeah. yeah. And guys, I had one more a point. Paul was talking something about the health issues within the tactical community. And um, there's, they're prevalent, right? And so Paul spends a lot, Paul and I spend a lot of time on the road, like over 50% of our time, so like traveling for different departments and groups and having conversations about this. And, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, barrier in the hurdle to kind of getting these programs implemented, because it's still, it's still new, is, is really talking to the, getting the leadership and the unions, really the leadership to understand the, the value of the humans over hardware side. Like you can have all these tactics, all this great gear and technology. And you guys know from, you know, even from the military, right? Like you can, you can see it, but like, it's nothing without that individual in there. Nothing. It's not sustainable. Like even from a cost standpoint, you invest up front, it's preventative versus curative. And it's really getting out ahead of it. If, the, if these problems, because I don't know, like, you know how many of your listeners truly, under, truly know about the health issues, but the, the number one cause of law, uh, line of duty death in law enforcement is suicide. Like a lot, a lot of law enforcement suicides happen every year. The number one cause. When you talk about first, uh, fire, cancer and cardiac disease is through the roof killing tons of firefighters, right? The injury rates, the, the, the mental health, the sleep. If this was happening, and this is what you say to department leaders, if this happened to your family, you would be on the phone right now trying to figure out what to do, how to change it. Because you would never let your family go down this line. If they had such a high risk, something traumatic happened, or they know you know something's traumatic is going to happen, or you know that obesity is a problem, or you know that injuries are injuries are, are going to be prevalent, or something around mental health, or um, um, you know, or cancer. You're going to get out ahead of it. You're going to do as much as you can to help prevent that, and um, that's usually the messaging we go into. But I just wanted to make sure because the listener, a lot of people don't realize that the, you know these men and women that are on the street are on the front lines they have a lot of occupational related challenges and they have a lot of stressors and challenges within their job. But there's a lot of things like just carcinogens that are in the air during a fire that people can't see that are, that are killing firefighters like every day. Yeah. I just wonder, um, you know, cause a lot of them do, they do do shift work. And I, when I was in the military, I, I had full 24 hour shifts for what I did. I was doing at one point launching nuclear bombs, but um, is there any sort of, push to mitigate that or minimize that or somehow, you know, trying to get these guys off doing that. Cause that, that, that really, I mean, as you know, sleep is so incredibly important and 
when you're 24 hours up or on call 24 hours, how does that, how do they manage that to where, there, is there any improvement in that, particularly with the firefighters or some of the other responders? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I think in general, I think the awareness is, is key there, right? So a lot of, a lot of these departments, I, I think took a lot of time before they actively even really knew about the protocol, like for cancer, for as, as, as one instance. Now, if you talk to, uh, you know, guys that are on the job for, let's just say they've been on the job for 20 or 30 years, they will tell you now, and this is, this is a good part, is that they will tell you now that, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, they would have never done the protocols uh, that they do now. They have these hoses, for example, that hook up to the trucks that naturally vent out everything inside there. And every department's doing that, you know, even just washing their gear and taking care of like where they're, where they're eating, where they're working out, um, when they're wearing their masks, all, all these, all these things, getting workouts in, sweating stuff out, uh, not bringing their gear in their personal truck or taking it home and exposing their wife and their kids or whatever that, that awareness is out there. It has been, there has been for sure on the, on the, on the, on the fire side and um, a, a, a huge awareness piece. I can say that conferences that even, even six years ago, um, truthfully, then when we were going to com conferences, I don't think these conversations are, uh, were nearly where they were now uh, law enforcement, like Adam touched on, I think the behavioral health stuff, has uh, has really piqued the interest. I know specifically uh, NYPD has had uh, you know a lot of people suffering from this and recent suicides, and that's got some national press that have made other people go, wait, what, you know, what's what's going on here? Um, and I, I think it's one of those it's one of those things where when you're in a tactical community, a, it could be Department of Corrections, it could be EMS or EMTs, it could be you know, military or police, right? There's just a culture there that um, you're kind of expected to have this stuff. Like we always use the example in military units or spec op units in particular. Like you might know, it, you might not know, it, but you signed up for post-traumatic stress. Everyone in this room, by nature of the, by the nature of this job, you signed up for post-traumatic stress. Whether you make it turn into a post-traumatic stress disorder where it actually is affecting your day-to-day -day life and really having an adverse reaction on who you are, Hopefully some of that can be mitigated with some proper training and some awareness and communication and all kinds of stuff like that. But I will, I will say that uh, a lot of it stems from the awareness piece. A lot of it stems from the leadership speaking out and make, making it a priority. And it, and it has been different, and which, which is good to see. But I can tell you that the results are still there. Suicides are still through the roof comparative to the general public. Heart attacks and cardiac and cancer. It's not comparable. If a private company with, in that same example had a thousand employees and they worked in downtown Boston in the financial sector and they diagnosed new cancer case every two to three weeks. I can tell you right now, it would be all over the news and everyone would be flipping out, suing, figuring out what is going on. How, how is there possibly this much cancer in this financial institution every two to three weeks? Yet these fire departments say, you know, they're in houses that might be, you know, hundred something years old that haven't been upgraded. This carcinogen is all on the walls or sleeping in bunks that haven't been, you know, uh, upgraded. They're, you know, eaten in common areas. They have carcinogens everywhere and, you know, and, and, they're, and they're reacting to stuff. So I think it's a, it, uh, what we see across the board comes down to leadership, whether it's holding your guys responsible for how they're going to eat, how they're going to work out, how they're going to sleep, how we're going to address the stuff, um, breaking down the stigma when it comes to the behavioral health stuff and getting that awareness out there. Um, it has, 
it's it's a leadership thing. And I, it's it's strange. There's can, there is some consistency across the board uh, when it comes to these communities, but I can tell you that it is very apparent when you go and you have a conversation with uh, leadership that wants to wants to back this and put some money behind it and support the membership, and then other groups that are like, oh, this is the way we've always done it. And it's like, yeah, hey, slow clap, buddy. This is this is exactly why your department is always going to be suffering, uh, you know, for the next ten years because you're not you're not willing to make this a priority. It, it really comes down to priority. They all can find a way to get money. That's the problem. Is it's hard. Everything comes down to financials. But we 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 partnered with departments that millions and millions. Of, think about it this way. Let's say that department that I gave an example is fifteen hundred firefighters and one hundred and eighty of them have an injury. If if you have a hundred firefighters out on injury, think about the backfill, the overtime, the medical cost. These cities are self-insured. So I always use a joke that if like one of my people gets a shoulder surgery, okay, I mean, maybe they don't come to work for a little while, but I'm not paying someone else overtime to be here. I'm not, you know, funding the cost of the, you know, the overtime or the medical expenses. I'm, I'm definitely not backfilling that person and paying somebody else time and a half to be here. Right. So the, you know, it, everyone looks so, so, you know, focused on oh, what am I doing this year? But you got you got to have an approach and leave it better than you found it in yeah. three to five years down the road. We had, luckily we had, um, you know, we had a, a great relationship with Boston and, and uh, they have roughly have like over 1500 firefighters. And then we were able to quantify the impact to that. So we saved like the city of Boston in a year, $6.3 million because we reduced the injury rate by 19%. You know, and then sick call was uh, driven down as well. So now, and also when people are getting injured, we see them coming back faster. So you're seeing all those different success. So it's really nice to see like someone who's put a lot of time and effort and energy to turn around a department. First, the first, first fire department in the entire country, you know, like late 1600s, mid 1700s, the first time there was a, a paid fire chief there. He's talking pretty amazing history and tradition. They're like, there's some traditions that we need to change and we need to take charge of the health and wellness here and the effort they put in with good policy and good really um, taking care of their guys and, and, and a good human performance program is, is generated cost savings for the city and also a more resilient force. Is, and that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Is that kind of the biggest like buy-in component you get from, I guess, more recent clients being able to kind of point to some of these departments and programs where they essentially saved money by spending money because I could imagine in the beginning that's a hard sell to, to, to try to convince someone like to, to spend the money up front when they don't know for sure if they're gonna gonna see that return on it but when you have like those experiences like you did with Boston I'm, I'm guessing that that word spreads at least yeah it's it's nice to have like a bunch of case studies right um, we have a, a lot of them out there even departments that are like trying to incentivize, even from like a financial standpoint, like small little stipends of money, if you, they work out 50% of their shifts a year. And now they got that built into their contracts, like very innovative ways of thinking through, um, you know, motivating their department, getting people, and they're seeing the impact and results from it, not along with like a comprehensive, but just like very good leadership implementation. Um, so it's, it really is, it's nice to see it. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of time and effort and energy. Now, healthcare companies have figured this out way long ago, right? So just from a common sense perspective, it's like, if we can get you to go, go to a physical, well, there's a, there's a tangential benefit 
of that. And it comes in the form of cost savings because it's prevention versus curative. It's a lot easier to pay for someone's, you know, yearly physical and scans and blood work than it is to pay for things when you find them too late. And so they, they healthcare um, industry has figured that out a long time ago. So it, it it's fairly, it's fairly open now, you know, it's fairly, no, it's nice to see that, you know, the results from the program, like I said, we just constantly want to adapt because what we started with and at the end of every single month, year, every quarter, every, every year, our program is drastically different in a lot of different ways because we want to be able to meet those demands in the field and the leadership that's out there is, is, um, you know, we're just trying to, how, how can we be more effective? How can we get it, implemented better um how can what are the what do they feel what's their feedback and so to get them to start working and that relationship and that going back and forth even through this pandemic it's been you know we're extremely busy um just helping like helping any way we can um you know you're talking about here and now is in a prime example is of things situations you prepare for you're trying to build your immunity your system and your body, your mind to be as resilient as possible during something like this. I don't think we've ever could have ever could have expected that this something like this was going to happen. And, and now they realize like, Hey, you know, the virus is attacking a lot of the individuals that look a lot like the tactical community that are still out there on the front lines. So if you needed a motivator outside of forget cost savings or anything that if you needed a motivator is like, you, a lot of that demographic that's out there that's on the front lines that can't work from home are those people that are at the highest risk of contracting this virus and being and, and also being um you know pretty pretty sidelined from it if not worse yeah we've said that in the past uh, on some shows too where it's like if there's a silver lining that kind of trails this whole lockdown COVID stuff that it will hopefully be that folks decide to take health and fitness a little more seriously so that they are a little more robust with something like this would ever happen again. And um, I, I'd imagine that kind of speaks to your program. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, exactly. Awesome. Well, guys, it was great to have you on and have you kind of share your your stories and uh, kind of what you're up to. Uh, could you share with our listeners like where they can find you uh, if there's uh, any social media or website stuff that you guys like to be active on? Yeah, sure. Uh, we um, well, for one, O2X always been like optimized. Um, like optimize to the X, like O2X.com. Um, social, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, you can get our book on our, on our website or on Amazon. Uh, same thing with the online portal and, you know, a mobile app here that's going to be out here mid-June. Um, we did a little restructuring of it, making it, polishing it up a bit, making it quicker. And so we'll see that here in the, in the near future as well. Awesome. And one thing I did think of, I should have asked you guys, because I know you talked a lot about working with departments and programs and stuff, but is there like uh, an individual, like I don't work for a department, but I think your philosophy is what I'd like to do where people can get those resources and do it by themselves versus with a group? Yep. A hundred percent. Sorry. I have you on mute. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, 100%. Um, and like Adam said, the, the cool part is, so right now, if you go to O2X.com, you can pretty much find everything you need, like uh, human performance for tactical athletes, which is actual manual that we 
we actually teach off that manual in the workshop. So it's kind of cool because it's a good read, but it's also something that's probably worth keeping in your backpack for, you know, if you, if you travel or whatever. So that's pretty great. Uh, the tactical athlete portal. Yep. That could be something that an individual easily uh, follows. And then right about a month from now, maybe a month and a half to, to be a little bit more safe the, the new app is, it's, it's actually really awesome. Um, we, we put a, we put a lot into this, uh, this new version that's going to be coming out. So we pulled the old one offline, um, and the new one comes out mid June. So I, I know like the kind of regular consumer will eat that up because that's more like, you know, uh, very specifically, Hey, what plan do I want to follow by me? What do I exactly want to do from an eat, sweat, thrive perspective? Your daily's popping up with a, you know, a, a badass training plan. And, um, and so it's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty cool that that'll be there, but right now it easily can get on there and get all of our other resources, uh, get the tactical athlete portal, um, with it, with everything else we offer. And also just a lot of uh, free stuff on there too, like some good case studies if, if people want some, some knowledge or, uh, blogs and that kind of stuff. There's, there's some pretty cool people that, uh, you know, subject matter actions we have that, that have put some pretty interesting stuff up there. So definitely worth checking out. Perfect. Well, thanks for sharing all that. And we'll definitely put the links in the show notes so listeners can head over and check out what you guys are up to. That's awesome. Hey, th- thanks a lot for having us on. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yeah, keep take doing care. good work, guys. Appreciate what you do. And I know, like I said, taking care of the folks that take care of us is an important, uh, important thing to do. So thank you guys again for what you do. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. Thanks. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing. And due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.